Have you thought this through? No way will that work. Are you sure? Is there any money in that? You'll never make any money doing that. How are you going to pay the mortgage? Just get a job. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur. We are broadcasting here live in the studios of WLCB 101.5 FM from portions of the greater Chicago, Milwaukee area. I'm your host, Doris Nagel. I'm a crazy entrepreneur myself and love helping other entrepreneurs. I've counseled numerous startups and small businesses as part of my law and consulting practice over the past 30 years. And I've also helped start or started at least nine different businesses, candidly with varying degrees of success. I've made a lot of mistakes, and my passion is to share what I've learned and find others who will help do the same. We have two goals here at The Savvy Entrepreneur, to educate and to inspire. I welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about, challenges you're facing, you have a guest or a resource you'd like to suggest, or just want to shoot the breeze, email me at dnagel, N-A-G-E-L, at lakesradio.org. I would love to hear from you, and the show will be better for your input. With that, I'd like to introduce our guest for today. We are very lucky indeed to have with us today in our studio live, Greg Baker, the managing director of something called Bascom Ventures. We'll hear more about that in just a minute, but Bascom Ventures, in short, is a private for-profit venture that allows UW, University of Wisconsin alums, to add venture capital to their portfolio and at the same time support companies connected by their support companies that are... uh, with which their fellow alums are involved. Bascom votes, boasts, Bascom boasts a full-time alumni investment team, an investment committee with over 250 combined years of investing experience, 20,000-plus alumni followers, and is the only fund of its kind for a Wisconsin alumni. A few words about Greg. Although he went to UW-Madison to become an engineer, and in fact, I believe he got his degree there in mechanical engineering, he says that an internship changed the trajectory of his future career forever. He earned an MBA from Duke University, but then went on to work as president and CEO of a company called 2D2C. He was the VP of Corporate Development and Acting Division President for a high-tech subsidiary at Woodhead Industries, and then was the Director of Corporate Development for Teneco. He's a highly accomplished executive with experience in a variety of areas, including corporate leadership, business development, startups, M&A, and strategic planning. He has spent much of his career buying, selling, and combining companies to fit strategic goals. 
So, Greg, thank you so much for being on the show today. Welcome to The Savvy Entrepreneur. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for having me and uh, that wonderful introduction. I'll try and live up to it. I'm not worried about that in the least. So, Greg, I think the place to start is to tell us a little bit about Baskin Ventures. What is it? Why was it created? And what's unique about it? All right. Well, Bascom Ventures is a, as you mentioned, a venture capital fund that is designed for individual investors to participate and add venture capital as an asset class to their portfolio. We noticed a few years ago that almost every professionally managed portfolio, be it a pension fund, a home office, or a high wealth individual office, endowments, they all have venture capital in, their, in those portfolios. Generally, 5 to 20% of the portfolio is in venture capital or other high-risk, high-reward asset classes. If you look at accredited investors in the U.S., uh, about 4% have venture capital in their portfolio. And we felt that that was... That's pretty low. Yeah. and Especially since, just to stop you for just a second, because I'm not sure everybody knows what an accreditor is, accredited investor is, but it's basically uh, a fairly high net worth individual, right? It's a, an individual who makes $200,000 a year or has a million dollars in net assets. It's an SEC requirement. When companies raise money or startups raise money, they don't want to register their securities with the SEC. It's time-consuming, very expensive, and a lot of red tape. So they do what they can to avoid registration. The most common avoidance of registration is to only sell to accredited investors. People who can handle the inherent risk, right? Yeah, and the SEC kind of looks at it as you know, that if they've gotten to that point, they should be able to ask the right questions or they're not going to be losing their house if they invest in one of those right. companies. Right. Now, because we're a fund investing, we're a, we're a partnership of the 100 people who invest in my fund, if any one of them is not accredited, the fund is not accredited, and we probably can't make any investments oh, in startup wow. companies. So we, that's a requirement for us is that every investor is accredited. Okay. Of this group of people, well, they're not Warren Buffett or Bill Gates, but they're fairly well off, and they have assets to invest but they're just not invested in venture capital. Yes, when, when you see that professionally managed portfolios have one asset class in almost all of them, and then you look at the a similar group of people who could invest in that asset class and they don't do it, there's a reason. And we, we felt it was the supply. The venture capital industry is one of the widest spreads of returns in asset classes across the U.S., and, and probably the world as well. But the top quartile performing venture capital funds have great returns. Right. They, they, oh, do, they do really well. Everybody thinks of the Googles the, and the Apples, right? The, and the, the bottom, Ubers and Lyfts, but... Mm. Yeah, well, the, and then the bottom quartile venture capital funds, uh, it's about like investing in the S&P, and, and sometimes not, not that well. So the gap between, between the top quartile and the bottom quartile of funds is dramatic. And unfortunately, that top quartile, they've been historically very strong. And to get in, to invest in one of those funds, generally they won't take individuals. And very oftentimes you're looking at a seven, maybe eight figure check to 
as a minimum investment to get in. So those are mostly big pension funds that can get in, right? Notre are... Dame's endowment. Yes. Uh, for, for the Badgers in the audience, uh, Wharf. They, they have yeah. that kind of money. Right. And the, those funds have the opportunity to just take a handful of investors, build a large fund, and invest right. it. So, so it takes a lot of work to find all those people when you can just go hit up a couple of big pension funds and you know they just write a check for whatever. So what, and, and that's one half of it. The other half is if you only have five, six, 15 limited partners, you only have to deal with sending reports uh-huh. and that. If you have, I didn't think about that. If you have a hundred, I've I've talked to some people who look at our the staff of Alumni Ventures Group, the parent organization, and we're about ninety people. And for a fund that is about three hundred million dollars in assets under management, that seems really large. And uh, someone once asked me, "How could you have that many people?" And I said, "Well." You said you were in a venture capital fund and you had 15. I said, how many limited partners did you have? He said, four. Yeah. I said, how many portfolio companies do you have? 15. He said, all right, we have about 4,200 limited partners across the Alumni oh, Ventures Group. Goodness. And we have 360 or so portfolio companies. So just to be clear for our listeners, this is not crowdfunding where you can send 25 bucks to a GoFundMe account for a startup. But it's also not a platform where you have to be uber wealthy to participate. It's a niche funding vehicle that's somewhere in the middle, right? Our minimum investment to get into our fund is $50,000. And we have people who invest $50,000. We have people who invest much more than that. And we provide the ability to get into those top end deals. All of my investors, or Bascom Ventures went to the university, went or taught at the University of Wisconsin. I don't deal with hyphens. I, I'm not sure. I don't care which one of the system schools. It's. I was going to ask you about that because obviously there's a lot of different campuses that are part of the University of Wisconsin system. So if you went to UW Whitewater or Stout, Milwaukee, it doesn't matter. And we, we really never checked diplomas. I had one guy call a guy called me up one day, and he, he's like, uh, "Greg, I, I, I'm really interested in what you're doing, and I want to invest, but I'm not sure I'm eligible. I didn't even finish high school." I said, "Okay." He said, "But I've grown. I grew up in Wisconsin. I lived there all my life, and I sent my four kids to to Madison." Oh. I'm like, oh, you're you definitely qualify. Oh, so friends and family, you know, yeah, I mean, are probably connections. I, to the we're, sincere connections. You know, Bascom Ventures is very uh, Wisconsin centric and yeah. and Madison centric because that is the bulk of them. We are proud partners of uh, UW Athletics. We're you know we're you know, officially part of the the group, but um, we are open to any one of the schools. Now, Alumni Ventures Group has several other funds just like mine. And they're raising money from alumni of Northwestern and Duke, and Harvard, MIT, Stanford, Cal. Yeah, I mean, so it just you know, amazing listening group. area. You know, we had graduates from all over the place. And there's a lot of effort in putting together a, a specific school fund. So a year ago, we alumni ventures group added six funds that we don't care where you went to school, um, and you will be able to get you into a portfolio. Uh, made up of the types of companies we're investing in. Now, my investment criteria, I'm trying to put together a diverse portfolio across industry, stage of venture capital, so 
very early seed stage to pre-IPO rounds, and then geographically diverse. Do most of your portfolio companies also have some connection to the University of Wisconsin? Almost, for mine, almost all. The, um, the other two criteria besides the diversification is that the most important one to us is the company's currently raising money and has a top-tier venture capital fund leading the current round. So that what, what we're offering as Alumni Ventures Group and Basket Ventures in particular is access to those top quartile deals that those endowment funds were getting, but at a price where an individual can participate. And the, the big trick was, starting out was, how do you get into those deals? And, and we have money, but a lot of people have money. So yeah. you, you have to bring something else to the table. Yeah. And when we started, a lot of what that was that we brought to the table is I would only invest in companies that had a C-level executive or board member that went to Wisconsin, which was, which was great. It, it's a wonderful marketing. <laughs> and it's a great story. You've got Wisconsin alumni investing in the companies of fellow alums. And when I was trying to get into that great deal, I'd find the Badger on the team or the, or the Warhawk or the um, yeah, Blue yeah. Gold or you yeah, know, yeah, whatever all the, the mascots are. We actually have an investment with, where the executive went to UW Stout. And I'd call that person up and we'd talk about how wonderful it is that I could bring 100 investors that all went to Wisconsin onto his cap table with just one line item. And they, they loved that. And beyond the, the rah-rah factor, we started getting people who, when I'd talk to them, and I think you might even fit in this category, it was, yeah, this is really interesting. Is there anything I can do to help? So we started keeping track of that group. I have about 26,000 UW people signed up to be part of the Bascom Ventures community. And across the Alumni Ventures group, we have about 400,000. That have sent, wow. that went to the mostly those top schools. So when we invest in a company, we have a portfolio services group that all they do is have periodic conversations with the company, or ad hoc. The company can always reach out to us. It's basically who do you want to meet? With that network growing, it'll probably be half a million people easily by this time next year. We don't think there are a lot of companies that our entrepreneurs want to meet that we can't get a warm introduction for very quickly. That's, that's astounding, especially because these are probably, a lot of them are senior in their careers. They are people with just tons of outstanding experience. So. Well, there's a significant number of those, but the reality is when I'm helping an entrepreneur, I don't necessarily need that senior executive to help them. Uh, one of my portfolio companies is called Dog Spot. <laughs> they make dog houses that are climate controlled, self cleaning. I think my dog needs one and, of those. And they're set outside of restaurants and stores where you can't bring your dog in. Right. So and that way you don't get the people calling the SPCA or the uh, animal control people. There are a lot of people who get very, very bent out of shape if you leave your animal for any long well, yeah, time. You tie it to a tree, or or you have to leave the dog home right. on Saturday. You're you know you've left him home all right. week. You come or home. God forbid a hot car or something. Yeah. So there are people who are experts and have connections that can help that company. Pet store owners, maybe. Pet know? store. Pet owners. Yeah. Wow. If if there's. If there's a place that a bunch of pet owners want to go but are struggling because they can't bring their dog in, 
you know, they can tell that uh, store owner, contact this company and get a doghouse outside of here so I feel comfortable coming in. I'll come more often. So the expertise, when I talk to people, I'm like, you know, not just your pe- professional expertise, you know, the, the type right. of thing that you'd be asked to sit on a panel and right. you know, that's great. Love, love that. And right. there, there, there's a lot of use. But what are you passionate about? I have a couple of companies have approached me recently dealing with traumatic brain injuries and Alzheimer's. And, and there's a person that's um, a Wisconsin alum that's a very proud supporter of the university. And he's also passionate about Alzheimer's and is a national speaker for Alzheimer's. And I can, inter- I can introduce those companies to him and he can help give them connections where they need. He doesn't have a career background in it. He's not a doctor, but he's passionate about it and has connections that way. So that network is just an amazing thing. And that gets us into those top deals. We've developed a reputation in that the personal, industry. That personal touch is very, very unique. Yeah, it, I was actually on a call with our portfolio services group and my most recently announced investment. And it's a company that is has hundreds of millions in sales. They're, they're going to go public or get bought out in the next couple of years. And the lead investors in their first couple rounds are those amazing brand names. And we were explaining to him what we can do with our network. He's like, I can't believe that this relatively small investment you guys just made could be of more value to me than most of these huge venture capital funds who just wrote me a check and you know if I call them they'll give me some of their Rolodex but they're not aggressively helping me build my company like you guys are. You know a lot of entrepreneurs I think are very focused on where they can get money from but I'm guessing that many of these companies ultimately struggle with the fact that they don't have other kinds of things in place. Well, you mentioned that I was uh, a CEO. That was a startup. And the things that kept me up at night was, wasn't where was I going to find funding. It was, boy, I've, I've never done this, this next thing that I have to do. It's not really related to the company. It's figuring out the tax implications of selling into Canada. I don't, I don't even know who to ask right away. Yeah. Um, having a resource that can help me. You know, and when you bring on investors, you're probably, as a startup, going to be working with them for the next 7, 10, 15, maybe longer years. When you get into a marriage, you're, yeah. prob- you're looking at something that's, thankfully, I've been married for 33 years and, that, and hopefully a lot longer, but there are a number of marriages that uh, don't last as long as uh, startup relationships with their investors. So yeah. you well, need to find I, the people that you want to work with. So we've talked about some of the measurable characteristics you look for, but what are some of the less defined things that you're looking for in companies when you're investing? Well, that would be hard to define. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the answer to that varies quite a bit depending on what stage and what industry. But overarching is... Is the entrepreneur and the team the right the right group? Do they have the right makeup to be successful in what they're going to be doing? If they think they're going to build the next space station, they better be pretty good. They better have some good connections to do that. If they're building, not to uh, disparage Chelsea in any way, but if they're building a uh, set of dog houses, it, it's a different team. They better be passionate about what they're doing because they're going to be roadblocks. And one thing 
that we talked about a little bit off the air was when you talk to a CEO, a founder, and their reaction is that, hey, I'm the right person to do this forever. You're prob- you, you might not be. And your idea might be the best thing. It might be the best solution to the problem, but it might not be commercially viable or the market might not think so. Betamax was a wonderful product. And we all used VHS. Beta who? Yeah. yeah. So uh, your younger listeners are asking. So the um, uh, one of the keys with the team is a clear sense that they're flexible to what they're going to be that they're going to respond to what the market wants. I don't want a CEO telling their customers, "No, you're wrong. This is the best solution," because because it's going they're going to change. We need to take a quick break for station identification and a word or two from our sponsors. This is Doris Nagel with The Savvy Entrepreneur, and we'll be right back with our guest, Greg Baker from Baskin Ventures. Hello, we're back. We are live in the studios of WLCB 101.5 FM radio with our fantastic guest, Greg Baker from Baskin Ventures. So, Greg, before the break... I think you were starting to talk about not only the right skills, but the right mentality. The right mentality is important, and, and timing's huge as well. The market has to be ready for what you're going to do, or you have to be ready to deliver what the market wants. End of the day, similar to the break we just had, that we don't have this broadcast if we don't have the commercials. You don't have a company if you don't have customers. So you, you have to deliver what they want. And that might not be exactly what your initial vision was, but a number of companies have been remarkably successful delivering a product that wasn't their initial vision. I don't believe Microsoft started out as an operating system company. Well, I would have to say that certainly resonates with me. Most of the unsuccessful businesses I've been part of or worked with failed because there either was no market or it wasn't packaged right for the market, or maybe that it failed to take into account the, the amount of customer education needed to convince the market that there was a market, if you will. But you have to be careful with that. As uh, Henry Ford said, his customers just wanted faster horses. So <laughs> it, the market doesn't always know what they want, uh, but you, you need, yeah, need to know that you're delivering true. something that is important enough that they're going to change how they solve that problem now. I really didn't know that I should go on the, basically go on the internet, find a stranger to pick me up and drive me across town. Because my parents told me not to get in the car with strangers or a hitchhike. Now I, now I buy a gift card for my daughter to, to, enable to, that. to go on the internet and find someone to drive her across town. A stranger, right. right. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, a lot of things people wouldn't know they they needed the entrepreneurial efforts uh, market studies are important but uh, there are other things that are more important uh, it, it's a it's an interesting mix and it's it's very much an art we try and put as much science behind what we do in picking our investors you know beyond the team it's very critical to us who they have on their board who they have their as their advisors you know, a lot of times that's going to be that lead venture capital fund and some venture capital funds are in certain industries are outstanding and you've never heard of them. Some venture capital funds have a great name and have had a great track record, but in certain industries, you don't want to follow them. 
So it, it even comes down to the partner in a venture capital fund who we want to work with because we, we want to know that they have the right connections in that marketplace. I think a lot of people hear in the news about these sensational growth companies like Amazon and Google or maybe Uber. You put cash into a company and then they have this idea that it takes off like a rocket. But I'm guessing that's not a typical company growth trajectory. Currently, in the, the big name in the public mind for a startup that's hit it is Uber. And, you know, they started off, they raised money, and three, four years ago, things were really bad. Yeah. You know, well, they're still not making any money. Well, that's yeah, well, that, that's, <laughs> we're not going to, I'm not sure how, how that works out, but. You know, that was not a straight path to success. When they got to that that rough patch, that company could have gone away. And there was some good leadership involved, and they got to a place where they made a lot of money for their investors. I don't know that they made a lot of money for the people who bought day one of their IPO ever, but that's kind of the... It's one of the important things for what we're doing for individual investors. Um, historically, when I was growing up... The, I thought it would be amazing to be on that call list to buy a share on an IPO day. You've made yeah. it, and you're going to be Absolutely. wealthy. And what, if you bought Amazon day one, you've made a thousand times your money. It's insane. I'm pretty sure, I'm willing to bet a lot of money that in my lifetime, no one who bought Uber day one is going to make a thousand X on that investment. Yeah, uh, It's not going up a thousand from where it right. IPO'd. Now, the, the venture capital fund that invested seven years ago when it was at a five and a half million dollar valuation they made a lot of money the trend has been that companies don't go public as often and, and a lot of them don't do it at all because there's enough money you can raise to become a huge company and still stay private so you don't have to go through that headache of the process and then the paperwork afterwards so more value is being created in these companies in their private stage and that's where we're investing there's added risk because some of these companies are going to fail. We know that. Um, we don't know which ones when we invest. I obviously right. think when we make the investment that they're going to win. But historically, uh, there's going to be failures. It sounds like risk balancing is a real advantage of investing in a fund like Bascom Ventures. Because, you know, as, a, as an individual, I might be lucky enough to get in on an IPO the first day, maybe, or invest in a single startup company through connections, friends, family, whatever. But if I'm, and then if I'm really lucky, I might have invested in Amazon and I can retire tomorrow. But frankly, the odds are really against that ha happening, I think. And when you invest in a portfolio of companies like you've created with Bascom Ventures, Investors have now hedged their risks in a couple of ways. First, that the all the companies in the portfolio have been professionally reviewed by a team with tons of expertise, but also that there's there's now a basket of these companies. So even if a couple fail, and it sounds like they probably might very well, I've hedged against that risk because there are now several other companies in the portfolio that might do quite well. Angel investing is critical to the entrepreneurial community and it gets a lot of 
companies to where they need to be. And it, it might be the last capital, it might be the best capital for them to ever get. But even the companies that become venture backed, that angel round, that friends and family round, which really should be friends of friends. You get more money from your friends of friends than you do from your friends because you don't want them to invest anyway. But if, if they're vouching for you, if, if they vouch for you from their friends, you're probably more likely to get investing. It, it was something that I found strikingly different, the level of investments I got from my friends' friends than from friends. But like you mentioned, it, it's risky. The statistics over the past 20, 30 years of companies that got their seed round, venture capital backed. So institutional money at the seed level, you're still looking at a 66 to 75% failure rate. Wow. Angel investing that, that round before, clearly a higher failure rate. So to have a, a wide enough that just statistically one in 20 or, or one in 10 are successful, you have to make 10 or 20 investments at, at that seed level. And if you're not good at it, you probably more. So what we've done you know, with our portfolio, you know, we have five seed investments, but we, we pick ones that have the potential to have a tremendous upside. And then we have four, five to seven series A, a much lower failure rate there, slightly lower expected return and then Series B is even better on the risk. And when we put the portfolio all together, statistically, we should, do, we should be okay. We've taken away the opportunity that if we made 20 seed investments and they all hit, uh, we've made a fantastic amount of money. We've, right. we've dampened that, but we've seriously taken the risk out. We kind of look at it as a properly balanced portfolio in venture capital is not a remarkably high risk investment. The premium we get is kind of we're investing in illiquid assets. When we make an investment, we can't sell it. We can't call up the company and say, okay, we're good now. You're now valued at 3x what we invested. We'd like our cash back. We signed up to be with them until they went public or got acquired or failed. Mm -hmm. So we get a premium for having patient capital, although venture capital is is never looked at as being a patient organization, but it's we know we're in it for a long period of time and there's no, oh, things are bad, we, we wanna pull out now. It's your, that's not the option and that's what you get the premium for. Yeah. So that leads to a couple of follow-up questions. I'm sure there are sometimes really tough discussions with some of the portfolio companies. What, what do some of those conversations look like? Well, the most difficult one would generally be, are you the right team yeah. uh, and which parts of the team? One of the interesting parts in the journey from early stage startup to high growth is that inflection point where things take off. And a lot of times you started off with a group of five, four, five, six. Yeah, often friends, right? Or well, colleagues they, or neighbors or family members, well, whatever. I would wager that the successful ones in those first three to five years because no one's an overnight success that overnight success is you know, 10 years of misery uh, you just it just looks but it just looks I, like I would guarantee overnight. that that startup team has spent more time with each other than they have with their families in that first yeah. three or four years yeah. so whether if they weren't friends before they better be really close now because they've been through some challenging times they've been through some great times but then you get to this point where 
you know, you were a $10 million a year business and you're about to be a $100 million a year business. The person who developed the early technology is probably not good at managing a team of 20 engineers, but the CEO has to hire, either has to fire that guy or hire someone above him. And uh, it, that's a very... That, that's a hard conversation. Uh, uh, when somebody's giving up a piece of their life and they're, you know, they're like your best friend, one yeah, of your best it, friends. It, it's in the, the successful companies figure out a, a way to do that. But that, it, that is a challenging time in the life of a startup. Yeah. And that CEO, you know, they may, they may be a great idea generator. They might be horrible. They, their attention span for, if it's a manufacturing company for a supply chain, they may let that slip and you can't. So you have to hire a great uh, chief operations officer or make the CEO the chief's evangelist. Uh, you know, it's I could speak from experience. It is tough. You know, there's a classic business book out there called The E-Myth Revisited. And one of the things that they talk about in the book is all the different hats that a CEO needs to wear. And all of us are, none of us are good at everything. And some of us aren't only good at a few things, or maybe one or two, if we're lucky. So you have a CEO who has this vision and passion and is stubborn, which they have to be at some level, right? Or they just fold up when things got tough or people would tell them that not going to work. But somehow you have to be able to step back listen and objectively assess what you're good at and where and when you need to get help or maybe even step aside. I, I believe at one point the board told Steve Jobs you shouldn't be running Apple. Uh, well. And, and then it, he probably should have been. So it's, <laughs> those are very difficult conversations and it's a, it's a challenging part of growing your company. So um, let's talk about the investor side. How do you find investors that are interested? Uh, that's where Alumni Ventures Group comes in really handy. They're, the organization is really good at getting the word out that we exist to alumni. So I'm raising my third fund. I had 100 investors in the first fund. I had close to 100 in the second fund. A number of those were the same people. And now I'm raising my third fund. So for two and a half years, most of my day is talking to badgers that are interested in what we're doing. I've never cold called anybody. They, they've managed to hear about us either from our network, through our LinkedIn or Facebook ads, which as one of my children recently told me, I'm not investing in this. Tell them to stop. <laughs> There's almost, I almost feel like we're, we're a little too much, but... We're very successful at getting our name out there so that people know that we exist and people are intrigued. And I'll get on the phone with them and find out, you know, where's, where's the right part in the Baskin Ventures community for them to exist? Is it they want to just read my newsletter and find out about interesting companies that we invested in and, you know, give them benefit of the doubt because there's the Badger connection? Or do they want to invest? You know, they haven't had the opportunity to invest in venture capital, and I'm providing a very simple, easy way to uh, get into venture capital at a, a reasonable investment size for an accredited investor. And I have people that I have an investment committee made up of my limited partners that help me decide on investments. 
know, they have specific expertise. A few of them run venture capital funds. Others have been long-term angels. Others have a great expertise in a certain industry. And I take a subset of them to evaluate each deal and the group that makes the most sense. And, you know, there are others that uh, become very active in trying to help me advise companies in what they're doing. So basically, my job is getting badgers to help badgers. And it's not the toughest ask in the world when they're all, the people I'm talking to have already agreed to talk to me. Exactly. So exactly. I, I got a great job. Yeah. Well, I'm sure the, the one of the aspects of it is because there's always a lot of startups looking for money is uh, they hear about this and they think, wow, I need to send my company portfolio and, and my cap table and everything to, to Greg and see if I can get funded through them. So well, what's the process look like if you're interested in getting funded? Well, you can go to avgfunds.com or bascomventures.com and there's a, if you click around, you'll find the place to submit your, your document. I, I'd tell you more, but if you're an entrepreneur and you, you can't, if from there you can't find the right place, Maybe maybe you shouldn't. Or you can just email them to greg at bascomventures.com. I, I get emails all the time from entrepreneurs. Now, as I said earlier, we're never the lead investor. I'm only going to be investing in a company that is venture capital, you know, is raising money through venture capital. Yeah. So if you reach out to me and you're not currently raising money with a venture capital lead, I can't currently invest. Now, if we meet and I really like what you're doing, I know some venture capital funds and I can make introductions and help you in, in that process, but the, that relationship that you're creating with that lead investor is critical. So it's, it's almost always best that the entrepreneur find that right venture capital fund. And then you know we're more than happy if you're raising money and you've got a VC lead. We love looking at those deals, but you know entrepreneurs are, are more than welcome to send in. But I also mentioned off the air that one of the entrepreneurial myths and I fell into it when I was running my startup is it is a an, a required step from startup to success that you have venture capital money at some point and I'm I firmly believe that more than 90% of companies should never be near venture capital it's so, a specific type of company that needs that should get venture capital talk a little bit about that what kind of companies should look at venture capital and what, what are some of the things, the, the factors that go into whether or not it's even a good fit or not? Well, I alluded to it a little bit earlier when I said, when I look at a seed deal, I'm expecting that it has the potential for a, a great return. The way our model is set up, we can't invest in a company who thinks they're going to go, grow from 1 million in sales to 10 million in sales over the next 10 years. That's a great business. There are a number of people you can be very successful running that. I, I encourage you and I, I give you any help I can where I can, but don't get venture capital money to do that. And why not? Because, well, you probably won't get it, for one, it's, so don't waste, don't waste a lot of time because venture capital funds are not looking to grow a company gradually over 10 years. We're looking for the company that can become worth a billion dollars or you know, it, uh, the math of a, especially those lead venture capital funds, the math for them to get a payoff for their investors. And the reality is my job is to make money for my investors. You know, we're very interested in our, the companies we invest in. I'm very interested in the ecosystem of entrepreneurs for out of the University of Wisconsin and out of this area. But 
end of the day, my job is to make money for my investors. And if your business plan does not provide the type of growth potential that can make us successful in the portfolio, knowing that some of our investments are going to fail, it's just not right. And when you get to that tough point, when you've brought venture capital on, you generally have brought a venture capital partner onto your board. If you're at you've raised Series A, you're not ready for Series B and you hit a, a rough patch. When you raise that Series B, the guy that led the Series A, if he doesn't invest, he's been sitting on your board. No investor is going to believe there's not a problem. So you have to make sure he's happy or she, and they kind of get an out sized vote on your board when there is a rough patch yeah. and their their overall bottom you know end of the road motivation might not be aligned with the company so for all the wonderful things we can bring to your company in, through venture capital it comes with some potential downfalls for the company so you want to match your growth pattern and the the type of capital you need to the type of capital you go after and I'd say 90% of companies should not be in venture, be venture capital backed. Uh, there's, there's angel investing. There's, um, there's Crowd, debt. Crowdfunding. crowdfunding. There's, there's bootstrapping. There are a number of ways to get your company to where it needs to be. Venture capital is great. I'm a venture capitalist. So you love it. <laughs> I, right. I, I should. But you need to have the right capital to match your business plans. So I think that's important to think about. Some really, really great pieces of advice. You know, a couple, couple final questions. What are the, some of the most common mistakes you see that companies make when they're, they're pitching to you for investment? I'll share my pet peeve first. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of companies will show me their projected financials. And I know that their projected financials are wrong, and they do too. They sh- at least they should. But I'll see a chart where five years from now, they'll be making $173,427,622.65 in revenue. No, no, you don't. That's what, you, that's what the formula created. You're, about, you're like a $175 million company in year five. You, know, you throw a couple of assumptions into a spreadsheet and you come up with some exact numbers. Those aren't real. So don't, right. so don't try and imply that you know more about your business by having 20 significant figures on your chart. <laughs> it, we all know that everything's going to change between now and year five. What I care more about than the actual numbers on the page are the assumptions that go into the numbers. And if they don't oh. give me their assumptions, and then, then there's the other one that people spend $7 billion on this in this market last year. And... If I just get half of 1%. Right. It's huge. I'm, huge. Right. And it, that's great. And that's right. And half of 1% is a small amount. What makes me think that you know, your half of 1% isn't just a number you pulled out of the air? Well, how'd you get there? What is the justification that you're actually going to get that and, and why you versus someone else? That's what I care about. To say, yeah, it's a huge number. Yeah. I know that there are a lot of people who buy headphones. And earbuds. Yeah, I, I get that. Well, why are they going to buy yours? There are a ton of people who walk, who have dogs. What, why are they going to put them into a doghouse? And why are they put them in your doghouse? Not so much the actual absolute magnitude of the overall market opportunity, 
that's important and I'd like to know that you know how big that is, but I, I don't yeah. care which random percentage you pulled out of the air to put to say this is how big I'm going to be. I want to know why you think you're going to be anything. It's really an insight. So let's say you're interested in investing. If they're not part of Bascom Ventures, where, where should they go? Well, BascomVentures.com or AVGFunds.com. And then if you go there, you have to click on the funds button and pick Wisconsin versus one of the, those other schools that I compete with constantly shall, every shall day. Re, shall and, remain and, nameless. And you should invest in ours instead of theirs, even if you went to theirs. Because, because, anyway. because badgers are great. And, anyway. Um, I'm a badger too, so it, it, self-disclosure here. If you get to BascomVentures.com, there are probably on that first page alone will be about six different buttons that say, investors next steps and, and a chat box will pop up and there's actually a real life person on the other side of that chat it's box. not you though right? it's not me no no it's <laughs> not me i think it was once but um they they don't trust me um <laughs> so if you click on that next steps button up pops a, a link to my calendar and you can book yourself book grab an open time more than happy to talk to you and uh, just Find out what you're doing, what made you, you know, what you has made you successful, what uh, what company you're running, and from there it's very simple. We make the investment process very easy. If that's something you're interested in doing, I've had people do it online without even talking to me, which you know, is a little scary, but all right then. Well, no, it's it's a little it's, it's a little disconcerting that uh, someone would invest uh, fifty or a hundred thousand dollars and don't and Jump change. I mean, well, I'm. I'm kind of worried if I do ever get in touch with them that once they meet me, they're like, oh, that was a bad idea. <laughs> so it's pressure It's pressure when they've already invested, but then you talk to them. <laughs> Hilarious. Hilarious. And so is the website the place to go to if you're interested in becoming part of this incredible army of volunteer advisors yeah. as well? Yes, you can sign up on there to get our monthly newsletter that talks about companies we've invested in, think, exciting things that are going on in the Wisconsin community. And there's even a, a, a link on there for what we call our expert community, where you feel it's it's less than filling out a LinkedIn profile. It, it just gives us a couple of key words of what your expertise is, what your passion is, whether professionally or personally. And we'll reach out to you and introduce you to companies that are looking for help in that area. Fantastic. Well, obviously, Bascom Ventures and the much larger Alumni Ventures Group is an incredible and unique resource that I'm glad that Greg came on our show today to talk about. Thank you so much again for my joining pleasure. us, Greg. It was fantastic to learn more. You can find more helpful information and resources also about entrepreneurship on my website, forsythialaw.com, or my consulting site, which is globalocityservices.com. And don't forget to email me at dnagel at lakesradio.org. I would love to hear from you, anything and everything, even if you want to call and just chat and shoot the breeze. It would be great to hear from you. So be sure to join us next Saturday when our guest will be Heather Grove from a company called Caliber Advisors. And our topic is business valuation, which may not sound very exciting, but it's pretty darn important at different points in a business career. Uh, a lot of people are really not sure what their business is worth. And Heather's going to take us through how a valuation company figures out what your business is really worth. So be sure to join us then. Until then, everybody, happy entrepreneuring. Mm -hmm.